morning, everyone. Always a pleasant sight to see God's people together. A warm welcome to our visitors. Thank you for being here. God bless you. We're honored by your presence, and if, you, if this is your first time, we invite you to be so kind as to fill out a visitor's card. If you have not put it in the collection plate, please hand it to me after the service and stick around for a few minutes so we get a chance to meet and greet with you. Uh, confession, I'm a big overgrown kid, and I like to play games. So this morning, I want to play a game with you. The game is, who am I? I'm going to ask you three questions, and you guess who I am. Who am I? I was condemned to death by my fellow countrymen. Now, that's a lot of folks. Who am I? I revealed myself to my family as someone back from the dead. Three, I was put in charge of the whole world. That narrows things down. Now, who am I? How many people here, please indulge me, think we're talking about Jesus? Okay, good, good. You're all right. We are talking about Jesus. We are, however, talking about one other person in the Bible who fits this description. And that person is Joseph. Uh, in, if you've seen the Broadway play, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, uh, the Dreamcoat is not what's amazing. What's amazing is Joseph, his character, and his story. Now, Joseph is covered in the book of Genesis, from Genesis chapter 37 through chapter 50, which is his passing. So all in all, that's 13 chapters of Joseph. Uh, it's actually 14. However, oddly enough, chapter 38 is not about Joseph. It's about his brother Judah. It's a side story. And then the narrative resumes in chapter 39. So yes, I really can count. It's 13 chapters about Joseph. So obviously, it is not possible to cover, to read 13 chapters of the Bible and then go back in closer detail and look at some certain facts that we want to uh, focus on and draw out and expand upon. So this morning, we're going to have a very special three-hour sermon with a 15-minute intermission. Now, please don't get up and walk out. No. Just kidding. Just kidding. So what to do? What to do? What we're going to do this morning is we're going to lessen our scope. Instead of covering the story of Joseph from the beginning to his passing, in chapter 50, we're going to cover the story of Joseph from the beginning to where he reveals himself to his brothers in chapter 45. And then what we're going to do is summarize the chapters. Instead of reading them, all the verses, we're going to summarize them. In the old days, I'm dating myself, it would be the Reader's Digest version. In the new days here, we say the short version. You know, like when you're getting a sales call and you, you're hearing a long pitch, short version, short version. So we're going to short version each chapter. Then we're going to go back and look at some select verses, a small handful of select verses, and read those verses. And then we're going to compare these facts 
to some New Testament verses concerning Jesus. So let's start in Genesis chapter 37. And as with the play, we're going to meet our cast of characters. And that is the father, who is Jacob, who is called Israel. He is the father of the nation of Israel. And he has 12 sons. These 12 sons become the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, 10 of the brothers are from other wives. Two of the brothers, the youngest, Joseph and Benjamin, who was so young he's not really a part of the story until much later on, are from Rachel, who is the love of Jacob's life. So guess what? Jacob favors Joseph. What kind of effect does that have on family relations when one parent obviously favors one child? Well, as you can guess, the brothers hate Joseph. So that's our cast of characters. Joseph is given two dreams in chapter 37. The two dreams are about the same thing of ruling over his family. After his brothers hear about it, they hated him before, but now they hate him even more. And so they plot to kill him. Instead of killing him, however, they sell him as a slave, which is as good as dead anyway. We skip 38 because it's about Judah and go to chapter 39. As a slave, Joseph is put in charge of his master's house, that is Potiphar. He is sorely tempted, yet he stays innocent. He is charged and wrongfully condemned and sentenced being put into prison. In chapter 40, the king's chief cupbearer and baker, and those are prestigious positions, are later put in prison with Joseph. They each have a dream, which Joseph interprets, and each dream comes true, according to the interpretation. And even though the baker is killed, as prophesied, and the cupbearer is restored to his position, he forgets all about Joseph. In chapter 41, Two years later, Pharaoh has two dreams, and the cupbearer then remembers Joseph. Now, I know someone who interprets dreams. Joseph interprets the two dreams for Pharaoh concerning the same thing. Again, a worldwide famine, a very severe famine. So Pharaoh makes Joseph second in command. In chapter 42, the famine comes as prophesied, and many peoples come to Joseph for food, including his brothers, who, of course, do not recognize him. Joseph sells them grain, but he also tests them by keeping the brother Simeon and demanding to see Benjamin, who is so young that he is kept back with his father. And also, he tests them by giving them their money back secretly. But when they returned to Israel, uh, to, to the father Israel, Israel refuses to let Benjamin leave his side to go to Egypt. He's not willing to lose him. In chapter 43, the famine continues on. So eventually the father Israel has to relent 
And he sends the brothers, along with Benjamin and gifts, to go see Joseph and purchase food. Joseph sees Benjamin with the brothers and prepares a feast for them. They feast together, and Benjamin's portion is five times everyone else's. And chapter 44 is a busy chapter. Joseph sends them on their way with sacks of food plus the money they paid for it. They had originally returned the money. But Joseph tests them again by putting his personal silver cup, the silver chalice, in Benjamin's sack. He sends his steward to catch up with them, confront them, and accuse them. And of course, the cup shows up in Benjamin's sack when they all empty out their bags. His brothers return to Joseph. And Joseph pronounces the charge and the punishment. Benjamin will be his slave for life. A severe, severe punishment. And in one of the most touching and dramatic and moving scenes in all of the Bible, Judah, the brother, offers himself in exchange for Benjamin. In chapter 45, Joseph can no longer control himself, and he makes himself known to his brothers. I am Joseph, your brother. He forgives them, and he tells them to go get their father and for all of them to come live with him. Even Pharaoh tells Joseph to say to them, never mind your belongings, for they will have the best of the land. Now that is a summary of the life of Joseph, the bulk of his life, in the shortest version I can imagine. What we want to do now is go back and read a few select verses and emphasize a few points. In chapter 37, we see that Joseph's brothers condemn him to death. Let's start reading in verse 19. Chapter 37, verse 19. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns, that is a well, and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. In verse 26, Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him after all. He is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by a caravan, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. Well, with a family like that, you don't need enemies, do you? So Joseph's brothers condemn him to death, in essence. In chapter 39... Joseph is charged and convicted, though he is innocent. In verse 1, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, in other words, someone high up, the captain of the guard brought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. In, verse, in the end of verse 6, it reads, Now Joseph was well-built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. In verse 10, 
And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. In verse 16, she kept his cloak beside her until his master, Potiphar, came home. Then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you brought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. Verse 20. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. He's done nothing wrong, yet here he is in prison. In, verse four, in chapter 41, Joseph is put in charge of Egypt after he reveals the dreams. Verse 39, then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Now remember this. At this time, Egypt is the, the world power, the most powerful nation on earth by far. So in essence, to be in charge of Egypt is to be in charge of the whole world. Now let's go to chapter 45. In chapter 45, Joseph makes himself known to his brothers as someone back from the, from the dead. And actually, I want to read to you from verse, uh, chapter 44. So please, excuse me, go back to verse 18 of chapter 44. And you'll see how the brothers regard Joseph. Here Judah is making his plea for Benjamin's life. And in verse 18, chapter 44, Then Judah went up to him, that is Joseph, and said, Please, my lord, let your servant speak a word to my lord. Do not be angry with your servant, though you are equal to Pharaoh himself. My lord asked his servants, Do you have a father or a brother? And we answered, We have an aged father, that is Jacob, who is Israel. And there is a young son born to him in his old age, that is Benjamin. His brother, Joseph, is dead, and he is the only one of his mother's sons left, and his father loves him. So they regard him as dead. In chapter 45, Joseph makes himself known. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? Is still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Uh-oh. Verse 4, then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. 
When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. Next, we'll see that God sent Joseph to preserve a remnant on earth and save lives in a time of severe need. Because what Joseph says next is extraordinary. Verse 5, and now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land, and for the next five years, there will not be plowing and reaping. There's going to be no food for five more years. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Then we see that Joseph urges his family to come to him and to live with him. Verse 8, so then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. You, your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds and all you have, I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. Verse 16, when the news reached Pharaoh's palace that Joseph's brothers had come, Pharaoh and all his officials were pleased. Verse 19, you were also directed to tell them, do this, take some carts from Egypt for your children and your wives and get your father and come. Never mind about your belongings, because the best of all Egypt will be yours. What a remarkable story of Joseph. Now we're going to take just a minute, and we're going to look and compare some of these facts to the New Testament verses concerning Jesus. So please turn with me in your Bibles to the New Testament, to the book of Acts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, chapter 2. And we're going to see that like Joseph, so also Jesus, his fellow countrymen, put him to death. Certainly we can say that Joseph's brothers were his fellow countrymen. So Jesus' fellow countrymen put him to death. In Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 22. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him. As you yourselves know, this man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. His countrymen put him to death. And as with Joseph, so with Jesus, so with Jesus, Jesus was charged and convicted, though he was innocent. Please turn with me to the Gospel of Mark. Matthew, Mark, we'll look at chapter 15, 14, starting at verse 53. Here we read, They took Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests, elders, and teachers of the law came together. Verse 55. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death, but they did not find any. 
Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. Like Joseph, Jesus was charged and convicted, though he was innocent. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. In Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to see, starting in verse 22, that like Joseph, Jesus is put in charge of the whole world and even more. In chapter 1, verse 22, we read, And God placed all things under his, that is Jesus' feet, and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. God has put all things under Jesus' feet, and Jesus is the head over everything. Think about what a glorious position that is, the authority. Jesus is in charge of the whole world. Next, let's turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3. And here we're going to see that Jesus makes himself known to his brothers as someone back from the dead. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3, where Paul writes, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to, and here's the list, Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, that is Paul, as to one abnormally born. Joseph didn't reveal himself to uh, kings of other nations. Jesus did not reveal himself to Caesar or to the king of this nation or to the king of that nation. Jesus revealed himself to his family, like Joseph. Next, we see that God sent Jesus to preserve a remnant on earth and save lives in a time of severe need. And the obvious verse there is John 3.16, the most famous verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. We are that remnant family. We are that remnant. And lastly, we see that like Joseph, Jesus urges his own to come to him and to live with him. Let's look at John, the Gospel of John, chapter 10. I'm starting in verse 1. We read about the shepherd and his flock. In verse 1, John 10, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the, she and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. If the sheep are following Jesus, the good shepherd, where are we going? 
Let's turn to John chapter 14, verses 2 and 3. And we'll see where we're going finally. Verse 2. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. Like Joseph, Jesus urges his own to come to him and live with him. What an extraordinary story, the story of Joseph, and how many different ways it parallels the life of Jesus. Just as an aside, this morning I've looked at, we've looked at six ways that they are similar. There are at least 16 ways that they are similar. So I urge you to read the story of the Joseph, the wonderful story of Joseph, and to see how much his life is like the Christ. One thing I want you, if you get nothing else out of today, is to remember this wonderful thought. When Joseph says in chapter 45, verse 5, to his brothers, Do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. See, Joseph is a lot better than me. He's far better than me that he would say that after all he's been through and all he's suffered, all the injustice. And he says this, this wonderful act of forgiveness. Jesus is the same. He did all this so he could forgive us, so he could call us, and we would answer the call. He would lead us home, and we could live with him forever and ever. The best of the land, the best of heaven. So with that thought, I invite you to turn to Acts chapter 2, and you will hear the gospel message. This is how Jesus saves us. In Acts chapter 2, Peter says, Therefore let all Israel, in verse 36, be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. He's speaking to the Jews, but it applies to the whole world, Jew and Gentile, everyone. Jesus Christ is Lord. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent, that is to change your mind, to change your view. And be baptized, that is, to be dipped, to be immersed in water. Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. In verse 41, those who accepted his message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And in the last sentence of the chapter, verse 47, we read, And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Won't you answer Jesus' call? Won't you follow him? to heaven and live with him forever. We invite you to come forward now while we stand and sing.